Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Glad that you're here to join us in worship. Uh, If you are new or if you are visiting here, we are currently going through our sermon series, uh, The Meaning of Church, and uh, we're going to unfold the book of Ephesians uh, pretty much for the next year, and uh, essentially focusing on the purpose of church and why we're called to partake in community for the sake of the gospel. Uh, So I'm going to ask that you guys would join me in prayer this morning as we dive into the word. Uh, Lord God, we want to come before you. We want to thank you. We want to honor you at this time. Uh, Lord God, on this Sunday morning, Lord God, we can be anywhere. But Lord God, you have brought us here in this room to worship you. And Lord God, even right now, even if our hearts may not be so worshipful, we pray, Lord God, that through the hearing of your word, not mine, but the words that are being read in Scripture, Lord God, that it will convict us, Lord God, to be worshipful, Lord God, that you will pierce our hearts to know you a little bit more, Lord God, and to desire a little bit less of ourselves. Father, I pray, Lord God, that this time that this room will be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we may be just open to what you have to say to us, Lord God. Lord God, at this time, Lord God, use me. Lord God, I pray that you will work in me, Lord God, and I ask humbly, Lord God. Lord God, for I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands, so may you use me accordingly to your strength. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, one of the main themes of Ephesians is the purpose of church and why it exists for us today. Hence the name of our sermon series, The Meaning of Church. And we're going to specifically see this unfold in the latter half in the book of Ephesians as we begin to go and unfold chapters 4 through 6. But in the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, uh, there comes this focus on the foundation of the church. We're seeing that there is a foundational identity of the church, and it is not through the things that you and I see on a Sunday basis. Meaning, the foundational identity of the church is not through the quality of the singing. Although I am thankful for a blessed worship team, It is not through the fellowship, although I am thankful for the hospitality, and it most certainly is not the building itself, as we are constantly worshiping in 50-degree weather. In other words, the church is not based on our order of worship, but the one who orders us to worship. 
See, the Apostle Paul in this text, in chapters 1 through 3 specifically, is making it very clear of this foundational uh, dynamic of the church. Now, specifically, when we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 15, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 15 is actually a single, long, deep, very complex and nuanced sentence. And the reason why it's so lengthy, the reason why we're taking a month just to unfold this section is because that there is an emphasis on the foundation of any church, and it is Jesus Christ alone. For the Apostle Paul, he also knows this personally. For the Apostle Paul, he knows that not only is Christ the foundation of any church, but it is the foundation of every life. For the Apostle Paul, it was his faith in Jesus Christ that allowed him to find purpose in and out of season, which is why in the book of Ephesians itself, he uses the phrase in Christ or its equivalent to for about 27 times. And this morning, as we dive into the text, I want us to be reminded of what it means to be in Christ for this theological and redemptive truth of who we are shapes how we live and how he is the foundation of the church today. What does it mean to be in Christ? I have three points for us this morning. That in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, he reveals to us his purpose. Secondly, he reveals to us our inheritance. And finally, he reveals to us our hope, the purpose, the inheritance, and the hope. First point, purpose. Look at verse 9 with me. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now, in Jewish literature, a, a mystery is simply a, the secret plan of God, and there will, be, it will become very apparent at the end of ages. But what does verse 9 tell us? It tells us that there are no rumor sites needed for the will of God, but because of God's good pleasure. In Christ alone, he decides to reveal this mystery to us. It unfolds for us, and as he reveals this mystery through Christ, it is for the sake of reclaiming his people, the salvation of this world through the redemption and remission of sins on the cross. So the Apostle Paul, he continues about this mystery of the will. Verse 10, read with me. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What is God purposing in Jesus Christ? Well, verse 10, it simply tells us to bring unity to all things of heaven and earth. Meaning, church, beloved, there will be a day, although it may be far away, there is a day that is coming where there will be no more sin. There will be a time 
One day where there will be no more suffering. There will be a moment to come when brokenness will be healed and loneliness will be covered and shame will lead to ultimate glory. That there will be a true unity with no hatred and any type of racism or sexism. Then it will all come into the unity because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what verse 10 proclaims. But what we see is that if verse 10 proclaims that there is a unity to come, then verses 9 and 10 also implies that this life here on earth is a life filled with brokenness. See, we see that all throughout Scripture's redemptive historical news that we see that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that everything was in order. There was no chaos, and we call that those creation days, the creation account. But what do we see in Genesis chapter 3? That there is an unveiling of this creation order, that when Adam ate the forbidden fruit, what was once complete and in order is now in broken and in chaos. And now that brokenness is imputed into every body, man, woman, and child. And we see this today, do we not? You look into our personal lives. You look into our relationships. And you see that the cities are broken. It's all around us that, yes, I do pray for an eagle's victory, but an eagle's victory, even that will not give the city full, complete joy. But, Lord, we do lift that up to you. (laughs) Even what is meant for good is susceptible to brokenness, even with the best of intentions. See, this goes to show this. Anything we do apart from placing ourselves under the perfect rule of God's purpose in King Jesus will break. Consider some of the things that we value the most today. Thinking about our employment, our work. Well, without the role of Jesus, what that will do is it will often lead you to be someone that overworks, Someone that oversteps others so that you can be king, so that you can be on top. Or you can be completely lazy and just in fear of leadership because there is no godly confidence. Consider money without the rule of Jesus. Money without the rule of Jesus is going to lead you to become so greedy, even at the expense of others. Or you'll be financially irresponsible because you think it's yours. Consider sex without the rule of Jesus. It will then become about your own ego and your own flesh, even though it is ruining the person you are intimate with. Consider relationships without the rule of Jesus. It will be all about you and your selfishness, and you will either suffocate them or neglect them. There is much brokenness in the world due to the power of sin. And here the Apostle Paul is reminding us, in light of that brokenness, that God's purpose in Christ, that he came for unity's sake. He came to fix all that is 
broken. Jesus Christ came to unite unrighteous sinners unto a holy God. Jesus Christ came to heal broken bodies unto a perfect Father. And this leads us to the question this morning, beloved, what areas of your life must you place under the rule of King Jesus? What brokenness are you experiencing right now and not allowing the gospel to penetrate deeper for the sake of freedom and hope? And are you considering that maybe it's because you have decided to live apart from God's rule? And I just want to encourage us this morning as you answer those questions, for those are heavy questions but just to encourage us to consider the perfect role of Jesus and how this will shape your life. Because if God can reconcile and unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, he most certainly can unite past sufferings, present sins with greater joy. And this leads us to our second point that in Christ he reveals to us of our inheritance. Read the beginning of verse 11 with me. In him we were also chosen. Now I'm going to stop right there. Now the question is, what do we uh, exactly mean by chosen? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it tells us that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God, meaning our hearts, that the natural inclination of our hearts does not desire God. We don't want to choose God naturally because we always want to desire the self-glory and the beauty that is surrounding us. So what had to happen was God in favor and in grace. He had to do the work and he had to kind of unveil those things to us for the sake of redemption over our sin, suffering, and every form of brokenness. And it was given to us because of grace. Would you consider the Israelites? They were not chosen because they were a greater nation they didn't have it all together. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 and 7, Moses will tell the people of God, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people of the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest. Meaning, you and I, just like the Israelites, we did not deserve the grace of God. There's nothing out of your own merit. There's nothing out of our works that deserved any type of grace. But God was gracious and he gave us every spiritual blessing. How do we know? When you look at verse 11, now, although the NIV, it says that uh, we were chosen, uh, when you look at the Greek, the more literal term is the word kleroo. I probably said that wrong, but forgive me. But in the Greek, it's the word kleroo. And what that word actually means, uh, that phrase, it means to uh, uh, obtain an inheritance. 
It means to obtain in an inheritance. So meaning God chose us, and in that choosing, it was actually in an inheritance. Now, why is that important? I think it's important because it tells us two things. First thing it tells us, it tells us that if we are obtained in an inheritance in God and in Christ alone, it means that God should be and is our truest value, that God has more value than any high-paying job. It gives you more intimacy than any relationship can offer. But secondly, when we understand that we have obtained an inheritance, it also tells us this, that for us to gain an inheritance, it must always come at a great cost, if I can explain. An inheritance is simply a gift of money or property. And it comes when a person is deceased after his or her own death. And what happens is generally uh, state laws, what they would do is that they would provide that inheritance to the surviving spouse, children, parents, and siblings of the deceased. So for someone to gain an inheritance, whatever that person had, well, that person actually had to give up his life essentially, and so it is with the gospel for us to receive an inheritance of eternal riches and infinite glory. It too must also come with a great cost. And we do see that in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ, he comes down by paying the ultimate price on the cross. The one who was infinitely rich became finite and poor so that you and I can inherit salvation and obtain an inheritance that you and I did not deserve. Now, what I love about uh, this passage, specifically verse 11, in the latter half, it it tells us how that works and what that may look like for us today. Look at verse, the latter half of verse 11. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What is the Apostle Paul saying? Is that as we have obtained an inheritance in Christ alone and faith alone and grace alone, it says that Christ is working out everything. Now, I don't take this working out part very lightly. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he uses this phrase of working out everything around 18 times in this letter itself, in, in, in all of his letters, excuse me, and um, four of them are actually in the book of Ephesians, meaning God is planning to bring everything under his Son. He's making everything work together for a purpose well, what does that mean for us right now? Just as God is making everything work for this purpose, he most certainly is making everything work together in your life. You ever navigated through life and all you're seeing are dead ends and roadblocks and roads that you just can't get on? You're in frustration and you're confused and you're just kind of not knowing of what to do. You're not sure of what to go. We'll guarantee if you're in this room right now, some way and somehow you actually got there. Isn't that funny how the plan of God actually works? 
That, yes, sometimes our plans don't go accordingly to what we may want. But in the sovereign plan of God, because he is good for whatever reason, it just works out. That everything in your life is working together and it's for good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 declares, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So if I can say it this way, in Christ we don't work towards the inheritance of God. Rather, will you let God's inheritance begin to work in your hearts? Let this obtaining an inheritance shape how you live. Because when you understand that Jesus Christ in faith alone and grace alone, he is our greatest inheritance, what naturally will happen is that you will begin to surrender and you will begin to set free the things that you find valuable today. See, when the gospel, when it captivates you, your eyes will slowly be less captivated to the things that you were once drawn to. Set yourself free from the rule of sins by placing them under the rule of King Jesus. This leads us to our third and final point, that in Christ we have our hope. Verse 12, read with me. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. What an amazing truth. That even when you and I failed, that even when our sin is apparent, the purposes of God, they never go away, that every event of the past, every event of your life, it all comes together in this purpose, but its purpose is to praise his name, the praise of his glory, meaning this, that you and I can have hope in the deepest suffering and in your darkest longing. How do we know this? We find this in Jesus Christ. We see this on the cross. Why? You must understand that you can have hope essentially because we know that there is purpose in your suffering. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're going right now, whatever it is to come, there is purpose. How do we know? Because when we're in Christ, we see that in his suffering, it led to great purpose. There is purpose in our suffering for Christ's suffering led to glory. There is purpose when you feel like you're dying daily because in Christ he died an ultimate death. There is purpose when you feel like life is suffocating you to the point of anxiety because Christ faced ultimate suffocation until he breathed his last breath and poured out his spirits. But just as Christ's humiliation, his suffering, and his brokenness on the cross led to the exaltation and resurrection of his son in full glory. Will he not take your past, your affliction, your addiction, your loneliness, and place it to the cross of glory, renewal, and exaltation? Is our God not good? Is our God not great? 
And in Christ, we know that every season and every suffering will lead to a latter glory, for our identity is in him. There is purpose, beloved. There is purpose, church. Tim Keller says it this way when he talks about suffering. Christianity teaches that, contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power that you can imagine. Your suffering is not in vain. There is purpose. There is a hope. And yes, it does feel like a nail diving into a flesh. But will you remember, may you be reminded that there was one, two, 2,000 years ago that also had nails in his flesh. And on the cross, it led to ultimate glory for salvation's sake for his people, you and I, church. So what does that look like for us practically? Um, I think it means this. If Jesus Christ, if he subjected himself to die, that he, his brokenness led to salvation, it means that there's purpose. And I, I think practically for us right now is that we too can kind of use our brokenness in the moment when we think about this community-dependent context, this church. See, I think practically when we look at Christ and we see how his life of brokenness led to salvation, you know, in terms of the seasons that you've been through in the past and even the seasons right now, I think that brokenness, what it can do is it allows you to kind of walk with others. You know, rather than just self-loathe and just kind of dive into your sorrow and your sadness, allow your brokenness to align with other narratives just as Christ's brokenness led to glory and led to the salvation of his people. Allow your sufferings to help build others. There are so many narratives, and I guarantee you, when you kind of center that in the gospel in light of this church, this community-dependent context, I promise you, there is great encouragement in that. There's a speaking of hope that just naturally comes about. And in light of hope, would you consider allowing it to work in the others for the praise of his glory? See, only in Christ can you make sense and purpose of your suffering because we are reminded of our identity in him. May this be your everlasting hope. Now, as I, as I begin to conclude, I, I just want us to talk about this one uh, big picture point, and it's this. It's actually uh, uh, the background of this passage. See, uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, as he's writing to the church of Ephesus, is actually during his time of imprisonment. But it's actually in this circumstance of being locked up in a jail cell, he's declaring the faithfulness of God because of his relationship in Christ. Nowhere in this book he writes, help, I am in prison, but rather he declares glory, I am in Christ. In other words, his foundational identity allows him to navigate through imprisonment. One of my favorite movies of all time would be 
1994 drama, Shawshank Redemption. It's, all, it's about this uh, prominent banker, uh, Andy Dufresne. And Andy Dufresne, he was unjustly convicted of this murder of his wife and her lover and would spend many years in the Shawshank prison. In this prison, in this jail cell, in this cage where he's locked in with no way out, he begins to meet with some people. Specifically, he befriends this convict, Ellis Red Redding. And Ellis read Redding, he knows all about the ropes and how to navigate through uh, this time of imprisonment, so they become friends. It's a movie about hope and redemption. And one of my favorite scenes in this movie is uh, when Andy, he's talking to Red and a couple other people about the beauty of music. And as they're having this conversation about this beauty of music and they're talking about, I think it was like the harmonica or some instrument that Red loved playing. And Andy tells Red, don't you ever forget that. And then Red says, what are you talking about? And Andy says, don't forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. That there's something inside that they, they can't get to, that they can't touch and that is yours. Red looks at him and responds, what are you talking about? Andy simply replies, hope. I don't know if I'm the only one in this room, but sometimes I feel like my past experiences continues to place me in a spiritual solitude. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels like present sins make you feel spiritual frustration, wondering if you can overcome these sin struggles. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels like the chains of slavery from your idolatries aren't allowing you to move. But if I'm not the only one, I just want to remind us that in Christ, that there is something inside you and in him you will not be shaken. That in Christ alone, there is glory. In Jesus Christ, there is power. And in Jesus Christ, there is an everlasting hope. Oh, would you hear me today? God is taking all our brokenness. He is taking all your sin. He is taking every single fiber of fear and doubt, everything that you ever broke, everything that you're currently breaking, Jesus Christ, he places them under him and he places them under his rule. And under him, all things will be undone. All of sin's power will be broken and all of it will be restored till that day. In my mind, we will wait until that day for he is all that we got. He's all that you ever need, and it will be all purposed in Christ. Will you join me in prayer this morning?